Well, this morning we are walking through. We're going to continue on in, invite you to think about this topic of prayer and asking. I'm also going to do something a little different this morning. I'll share what that is in a little bit. Just a little review. Again, one of the, one of the goals that I, I really uh, have for this series is that by the time we're done, I'm, I'm really interested in, in how this gets incorporated into our lives much more so than uh, just hearing it, getting it in our heads. And so <clears throat> we're talking about the purposes of prayer. Experiencing our relationship to God, which means our Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. One of the amazing things about the Christian life is the nature of God. I think it's just, it's unfathomable, but it's, it's also amazing that God has existed in the form of a trinity, that God has existed in relationship in the Godhead since uh, outside of time. And so <clears throat> when we think of God, uh, God has experienced this, relationship with, within the Trinity itself. And so when we come to prayer, we, we don't come to just uh, a part of God. We, we, we get to experience the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that experience of prayer. And so one of the purposes of prayer is to continually remind us that as people of God, we are in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in an extremely profound and personal and intimate way. That's that is the essence of the Christian life. The Christian life is not about living some kind of lifestyle. It's not about attending some kind of church. It's not about studying a book. It's not about just learning. It's not about giving. It's about knowing God. And, and there is something within us. It's how we were designed. It's how we were created, uh, depending on your concept of of, of man as body, soul, and spirit, but I believe we're created with, there's something in us, the spirit of man which was created to commune with God and to know God and to be known by God. And so that is the part of us that the spirit of God brings to life when we're born again and, and we enter into this. We, just, we can live with the knowledge that we are in relationship with this God. So prayer should be a place where that's, we're brought back to that understanding and, and where we come. And, and I like to think the first thing you do when you pray is to just realize and to acknowledge the Father and the Son and His Spirit. The second is adoration, praise, and thanksgiving to God. I don't think you can understand who God is and I don't think you can understand who you are in relationship to Him without praise coming out of your mouth. It's, it's really, you know, if God has to tell us that, you know what, you need to praise me, and we have to force ourselves to do that on a continual basis, I, I would say that we're not really seeing God for who he is. You, you can't see God for who he is, and, and you can't understand what God has done in your life through Christ without having a heart of thanksgiving and a, and a heart of praise. And then we looked at prayer and we see this so clearly in the Psalms, but praying is, is pouring out your heart to God, 
It's being honest with God about where you are, and you know, it's also understanding that often, often where we are as people and where, we, where God wants to take us are two different places. And so we, uh, I like to start the day with a time of prayer because, uh, to be honest, I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not usually where I want to be. And so prayer is that place where you allow God to take you into a, a renewed understanding of <clears throat> his presence in your life for the day, who he is, what he's doing, and uh, prayer is about pouring out our hearts, and then it's about surrendering our will as well to him. Asking for what we want is the fourth purpose of prayer. <clears throat> Asking for what we want. I, I want to share just one story to kind of, <clears throat> uh, I didn't have a chance last week, but the point I made last week is that, you know, we, we believe by faith that God is good and he's always answering our prayers according to what's best. And there will be times, not if there are times, there will be times when you pray and you don't understand why God is doing what he's doing or not doing what you think he should be doing. We see it happen to Jesus in the garden, and we looked at that. If it happened to Jesus, where Jesus said, you know, I don't understand, Father, why you've forsaken me in this moment. And we see that it happens to us. And so we need to be able to say, I don't know, here's, a, here's just a, <clears throat> you see this up on the screen, I think this is really important. We have to be able to say, I don't know why, but I do know who. I don't know why, but I do know who. And it's that knowing who God is that is so critical, that I have a good, good father, and you know what? He's good all the time. All the time, my father's good. It's the very part of his, his essence. There is no shadow of turning with him. All we have needed, his hand hath provided. Great is his faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Many of you have sung that hundreds, hundreds of times. <clears throat> and so it's, it's to know that and believe that in our hearts. Let me share a little story with you and... <clears throat> And I'll introduce what we're going to do next. A number of years ago, I probably shared this story here, but <clears throat> we have short memories, so I'm going to share it again because it's a great illustration of, of sometimes not understanding God. David and, and Savea Flood were a Swedish missionary couple that went to the Belgian Congo many years ago now. But it's one of probably a hundred stories I could share with you on just not understanding what God is doing, thinking God is not good when he is, thinking God is not faithful when he is faithful. David and Savea joined a couple by the name of Erikson's. They went to the, the heart of the Belgian Congo, and there they went to a tribe. And when they got to the tribe, they, they felt God's calling them, to, that God was going to use them in a mighty way to reach the people in, this, in Africa. And so they followed the call, and they went, and they got there, and the chief said, no, you can't live in the village. It might upset the gods. And so they had to live a half a mile out in some mud huts, and, and, and the chief would not let them connect with any of the people. And they said, how are we going to reach Africa when we can't even get connected? And there was, there was one seven-year-old boy who came and brought eggs 
on a weekly basis. And after a few months of this, uh, Savea Flood just said, well, you know, we, we could think about this is all we have as this young boy. So they, they shared, began sharing with him, and this young boy made a simple profession of faith as a seven-year-old boy. Shortly after that, Savea got sick, and uh, she was also pregnant. And she began to f- battle malaria, and, and then the birth of the child came, and it, it, it was a very hard, uh, stressful time for her, and, and she was run down, and 17 days after the baby was born, David, and by the way, the, the Eriksons had left before this because they were so discouraged. David and Surveyor Flood stayed on, and, and 17 days after the baby was born, David Flood stood over the grave of his 27-year-old wife. And something snapped. <clears throat> and he took the baby and he headed out. And when he got out, he met the Eriksons who had left earlier, and he gave them the baby. He said, I, I cannot care for this baby. Uh, I do not understand what God has done here. And he went back to Sweden and for the next several decades uh, became an alcoholic. Well, the young baby was taken in by the Eriksons and eight months later they were both mysteriously died. They, some felt that the, uh, one of the tribal chiefs had poisoned them. And so that's the story. That's God's answer to this family who gave up everything and responded to this call. This young baby went to South Dakota, grew up, met a man, went to Bible school, was in ministry, years went by, many years, decades. And one day there was a magazine that came in the mail from Sweden. And there was a picture in the magazine, and she was just paging through it since she'd come from Sweden. And it just shocked her as she came to a page, and there was a tombstone, a tombstone with the name Savea Flood, which she recognized as her mother's name. And so she went to a, uh, she found a Swedish interpreter, because the whole magazine was in Swedish, and, and had it interpreted. And when, when she heard the story, what she discovered was that this was truly her mother who had died there. And what she discovered was that there was a young boy who had come to faith, who had, as he grew up, he, he got permission to build a school in that village and began to share his faith in that school. And that now there were 600 members of that tribe who were Christian. In fact, the, the chief himself had become a Christian. So Savea went and, and shared with her father, found her father in Sweden. She walked in the room that was surrounded with alcohol bottles, and he began to weep, and he said, I'm so sorry I couldn't take him. And she said, Dad, it doesn't matter. God took care of me. And when she said the word God, his face stiffened, and he said, don't mention his name to me ever again. She went on to share the story of, of what God had done. And how God had used them. Because he only took one person. God doesn't need a lot to do a great work. He only needs five loaves and two fishes. It just, took, it just took the faithfulness, 
of those couples to reach one boy, and God said, I'll do the rest. It was a few years later, they were in London at an evangelism conference, and there was a man up front, and he had been working in the Belgian Congo. And he was a, um, about 110,000 Africans had come to faith through his ministry. Afterwards, they went up and they, they uh, came up to the young man and they said, you didn't by chance ever hear of a woman named Savea Flood. He said, Savea Flood? He said, Savea Flood led me to Christ. It was that young boy And he said, in fact, he said, your mother is the most famous woman in our district. And so God took the faithfulness of that couple and reached a nation, literally over 100,000 people through the faithfulness of this couple. Here's the point. The point is that God is always faithful, and, and God is, is always good. Prayer is, is such a, a powerful, powerful thing. So this morning, I, I want you to listen to something. I've only done this a couple times in about 40 years, but I'm going to play for you something this morning. It's about 20 minutes long, so... <clears throat> uh, it's going to take up pretty much the rest of our time. But I want to just read this from Isaiah 56, 7 to introduce this, and then we're going to watch this together. Even those I will bring to my mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Heard that before? Isaiah 56, 7. Listen to Jeremiah 7:11. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I have seen it, declares the Lord. Fast forward to Matthew 21:13, and he said to them, "It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den." Of robbers. You have made it a robber's or a den, is what he's saying. What does it mean that my house shall be called a house of prayer? Well, I think you'll be challenged as I was a number of years ago, and so I'd, I'd like you to listen to this. Jim Cimbala, uh, a man who has truly, uh, you, you would truly say that the church that he leads is a house of uh, a house of prayer. So I'm going to invite you to watch and listen and uh, just be ministered to by this. <clears throat> around the country playing basketball, never had the privilege of going to a school like you folks are going to. The greatest thing anybody can learn in this building is how to pray. How to call on God so that God intervenes in the situation. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And that's the church. And I talked to well-known ministers 
I talk to men, if I mention their names, a lot of you would know a lot of their names, and they tell me privately off the record, hey, listen, I know I'm dazzling them with my books and my sermons, but Brother Jim, something's wrong, because except for Sunday morning, one hour, I can't get a soul into the church. If I called a prayer meeting, not one-tenth of the congregation would come. They'll pay $20 for a concert, but Jesus can't draw. They'll pay all kinds of money to hear somebody do something, and that's wonderful. I'm all for that. But doesn't it awaken us that if the prayer meeting was called, that nobody would come when God said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And you represent all kinds of cities. And just ask yourself that question, the city you live in. What church do you know takes a night, a prominent night, with all the leadership there and says, if prayer is so great and his house shall be called a house of prayer, and we have all these promises, ask, you shall receive. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it shall be open. And all of those promises call unto me and I will answer you. You would think the Christian church would say, time out. We're going to pray because God said when we pray, he'll intervene. The truth of the matter is, in the city I live in, New York, and the same as for Chicago and Philly and all of that, who are we kidding? More people are turning to crack than to Christ. There are more people trying crack than are getting baptized in water. That's the real deal. And, and, and preaching is not going to do it alone. And teaching is not going to do it alone. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what brings God's power and grace into a situation. The proof of that is in the last 40 years, there's been more books written about marriages than in all the preceding 2,000 years of church history. More books in the last 40 years on marriages. Go to any pastor in America and ask him if there aren't more problems per 100 marriages today than at any time. And we have the most books. We've got all the how-tos, but what we're missing is the grace of God. My house shall be called the house of prayer. A couple that prays together stays together. A church that prays together stays together. There'll be difficult moments. I'm not being simplistic, but God's word is true. Call upon me and I will answer you. I'll show you things you can't even imagine. Just give me a chance. There's more books on child rearing, quality time with your children, ad nauseum. Talk to any pastor. There's more problem with children, young people in the church, per hundred young people, than at any time previous. It's not because we're lacking knowledge. It's not because we're lacking how-to, and all of that has its place. But brother, sister, when the rubber meets the road, we need the power of God. We need the grace of God. And listen to the promise as I come to a close. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. It doesn't say, therefore, let us come to the sermon. We, we in America have made the sermon the centerpiece. God never intended the sermon to be the centerpiece. The, the preacher, if he does his job, is supposed to get people to come to the throne of grace. Why? Because it's at the throne of grace that God gives grace and mercy. If a singer, a gospel singer, really does his job, and every gospel singer, listen to me, you're going to answer up one day because God's going to say to you, did you bring people to where the action was at the throne of grace? If you just entertained them, if you just tickled them and gave them a little warm, fuzzy moment, woe unto you because at the throne of grace, I could have changed their life. 
Pastor Simbola, did you bring the people and dazzle them with your footwork and try to be clever? Or did you make Jesus wonderful so that they could come to the throne of grace? Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That's why Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, so that he could make a way so that me with my problems could go and receive grace and mercy to help me. Coming apart here. It's an awesome thing. Just an awesome thought that we've created a religion kind of of our own. And sometimes his house shall be called the house of prayer. In a lot of churches and a lot of services, you have everything but prayer. You have talks, readings, talent, choir, and my wife conducts the choir. I'm all for those things. But you get what I'm driving at? If it doesn't end up with somebody touching God and praying, who are we kidding? We need the Lord. For someone who's so ill-prepared as myself for the ministry, seems to me that God has chosen, among other things, to make my wife and I example of those foolish things that confound the wise. My wife writes music and directs the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and she neither reads nor writes music. She's never been trained. She, does, she doesn't know what she's doing. She just does. <laughs> I've never been to a seminary or a Bible school, and I ended up with 15 or 18, 20 people in New York City on a, a street that was so depressing. Our church was so depressing, I didn't want to go, and I was in charge. Drugs everywhere, inner city, totally different culture than especially my wife grew up in. I, as a ball player, had been around. And then I realized, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to live in this Christian fantasy about what God once did and then what God's going to do one day, but then your life goes by and you never see God do anything? You know, you can let your life pass by with that kind of talk. Remember, the worst epitaph on anybody's tombstone will be this. You had not because you asked not. Someone says, well, Brother Jim, now you understand, Jim, that you don't get everything you ask for. It has to be according to God's will. I understand all of that, but we can't use little theological dodges to get away from the fact that a lot of people don't have things that God wants you to have right now today. He wants you to have it right now today, but over my life or possibly yours, he writes, you have not because you asked not. I want to do it for you. But God has chosen prayer to be the one conductor. Listen, the one conductor, the one channel for all of God's blessings, the channel is prayer. In other words, God has this table set for us. And he sees Jay and Amy, and he knows exactly what they need to raise that child. And he has the table spread with every kind of wisdom and grace and strength that they could possibly need. But he says, the only way you can get it is to pull up to the table and taste and see that the Lord is good. And pulling up to the table is called prayer. In other words, God doesn't tell us, pray because I want my people to pray. He says, pray because I have all kinds of things for you. And when you ask, you shall receive. In other words, it's not legalism. It's not get in there and start praying. It's I need thee. 
Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. God, you see what I'm facing. Help me, Lord. And as we pray, he's faithful to his word and supplies. Well, my wife and I began to learn a little bit about this conductor and this channel called prayer. And we began to see people's lives get changed. And, you know, I began to preach and not being trained and, and, and studying on my own and building a library which has grown quite large and trying to stay a student. But at the very beginning, it was rough. Sermons I preach at the beginning. It's tough when you fall asleep during your own sermons. <laughs> not just the people falling asleep. It's when you doze off. But you know, I found this, that God, when you become a Christian, and because of what I just said, how he blesses people through prayer, he's going to make you a, a woman of prayer. He's going to make you, sir, a man of prayer. And you try to run, he'll chase you. But he will make us people of prayer. He knows how to order our lives and get to get our attention and say, do you realize how much you need me now? Oh, no, Lord, I can handle this on my own. And God says, all right, fine. When you hit the stone wall the 32nd time, remember that you need me. But notice, he's not making me a man of prayer so he can say, see, I got him praying. It's, it's a father saying, I have all of this and you live with such scarcity. Please, come unto me, all ye that labor. Pray, talk, spend time. Why are you so rushed for? You're running for what? Working with what? There's nothing in Jim Symbol to work with you. Everything that you need, I have. So when are we going to talk? So I began to learn, and we began to stress our Tuesday night prayer meeting as the Brahma of our church. And this past Tuesday night, between 12 and 1,500 people gathered, like every Tuesday night. And since, of course, those days, we've had like 14 other churches begin, all stressing that prayer meeting night. Because we found if you can beat the devil on the prayer meeting night, you'll beat him on every other level. And that's the way it is in our personal lives. If you can beat the enemy in prayer, you can beat him on every level. You will read the word. There's grace flowing through your life. You have an appetite for the things of God. So from me standing in front of two people on a Tuesday night, I used to do that. First offering I took on a Sunday was $85, tithes and offerings. And I had a daughter named Chrissy who was about a year old. My wife took a second job. I took a second job. But the people began to pray. But in closing, let me just tell you the last, some of the last lessons I've learned about this wonderful truth because I'm not trying to preach down to anyone. I'm preaching to myself as I'm talking to you about eight or nine years ago. My daughter who is here today, she got away from us. She got away from not only us, she got away from God. She got away from our house. And my wife and I went through a two and a half year long nightmare that I don't want to go into. But I promised God, as I was getting at the end of it, that it, as he brought me through it, that wherever I got a chance, I promised God, no matter how hard it would be, as he's my witness today, no matter how hard it would be, I would tell people what God does in answer to prayer. You know what the feeling is not to know where your daughter is? When that, she grew up as a model child, I have two other children, Chrissy's now 
25, I have a daughter 21 and a boy 18, but at that time Chrissy was about 17, 18, and it, it was, I'm talking nightmare. I'm talking about getting in my car and leaving my house to go to the church in the inner city where, where I'm gonna face you know, 10 new people who visit who are HIV positive uh, and a battered woman and no neat family units and everything discombobulated and I don't want to be the focus. I'm supposed to be there, Carol and I, to minister to them. But I'm crying from the minute I leave my door to the church and saying, God, my heart is broken. My nerves are shot. I've screamed, begged, pleaded, tried to use money, reasoned, cried, and she's getting worse. She's not getting better. And how am I going to minister? And we're starting other churches and renting Radio City Music Hall and starting new churches in, in the city and, and going to South America and Carol's writing songs and making albums. But nobody knows or very few people know that we're, we're hanging by a thread, my friend, by a thread. And all the times I drove and cried out to God coming in and saying, God, please just get me through these three meetings. We have 11, 3.30, and 7.30 services, each about two hours long or more. And I'm just saying, God, please just get me through another Sunday. And God would just lift me. And I would have the grace to get through and minister to people, even though inside I was so, so sh just shaking. And I learned that when you pray, God comes. I learned that when you have no logical way to stand, God somehow, when you pray, gives you fresh feet and a fresh foundation. We have a prayer band in our church. It's a more important ministry than the 240-voice Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. There's a prayer band that not only prays through each service, about 20 of them pray through each service on Sunday while I'm preaching and ministering there in a room locked away praying, but now they pray for certain several years now, from two in the afternoon till six in the morning, there's, in the church, there's people praying every seven days a week, two in the afternoon till six in the morning. If any of you have some need, you can just mail it to our church. Someone will pray for it at three in the morning. It's an amazing thing how God honors that. Well, they began to pray for me. And as God is my witness, I would sense myself at night sometimes or shaving in the morning. I would feel God's grace just come underneath me and, 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 and begin to steady me and hold my emotions. And I hadn't even been thinking about God. And I would say, Lord, what is this that's just come into my life? Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's praying for you. If people would be praying for me, God bless them. Then my wife got ill, had to have a hysterectomy, and the hormonal imbalance that she ended up with. My daughter's out of the house, the other two children, I'm doing the best I can. And now my wife is not talking just about leaving New York, which she wanted to, because the enemy had told her, fine, start your churches and influence people for Christ, but I'm gonna have all your children. I've got one, and I'm coming for the other two. And my wife believed it and told me, you can leave with me or you can stay, but I'm leaving. Because he already has Chrissy, and I'm not losing my other two kids enough with this. We can't do this. It, the, the atmosphere in the city, New York is a miserable place to be. I'm not there because I like it. I'm there because God put me there. And, and, and then after the operation, she's talking about she doesn't feel any reason to live any longer. And, and I mean, what do you do? Your wife is flipping out. Your daughter's, you're preaching, you're doing all of these things. I'm just telling you, 
Oh, how wonderful it is to know that at the throne of grace, no matter what's happening, God can lift you and hold you. What a wonderful God. One November, after about two years had passed, Chrissy was away. God and I got totally alone in Florida. And God spoke to me and said, I know you've been praying for Chrissy. The impressions I got were basically this. I don't want to sound mystical or sensational. I'm just going to tell you from my heart. No more talking to Chrissy and no more talking to anyone else and no more money and no more screaming and no more crying. Drop it. Just tell me. Let's make a covenant. You just tell me and I'll take care of it. And I told my wife, I'm not going to see my daughter until she's right. And that's my first child. My wife kept in touch with her. Months went by. Christmas, sad Christmas. Who wants presents when your daughter's away? On a February night in the prayer meeting, my house shall be called the house of prayer. We were all praying and calling on God and waiting on God. You know, nobody in charge, no choir, no speaker. Who needs it? You have Jesus. It's amazing how wonderful he is. And someone sent a note up to me, a woman, a young lady who hears, hears, who's sensitive to the Lord, and she sent a note up through an usher, and the note said, I feel deeply impressed that we should stop the prayer meeting and pray for your daughter. I looked at the note, people were praying all around me. I looked at the note and said, God, is this really you? I don't want to be the center of attraction. People have their own needs, but I felt impressed it was. I stopped the prayer meeting after a little while and everybody gathered together in that room, in that church and held hands, uh, over a thousand people probably that night. And, and I called one of my associate pastors in the front and he began to pray. And all I can tell you, and I don't know what your theology is, and it really doesn't matter, I'm just gonna tell you what happened. You know where Paul said, Paul said, I travail like a mother giving birth to Christ be formed on you? Well, I told the people, my daughter thinks up is down and down is up and she thinks light is dark and dark is light. And unless God visits her and intervenes, my daughter is out there. And, and, and I'm gonna, someone wants, me to stop the meeting so you could pray. My associate's gonna come, he's gonna pray. And suddenly, it turned into a labor room. You ever hear women when they're giving labor? Having labor? It's not pleasant, but it has some great results. And they began to pray. I was overwhelmed by it. I was, as God is my witness, I was overwhelmed by it. I mean, they began to pray as if, they went to the throne of grace like, and now Satan, you will give up that girl. Jay, if you would just come, let's sing past me not, O gentle Savior. And they prayed. I came home. My wife wasn't there that night. And over a cup of coffee at night, I told her, Carol, it's over. She said, what's over? I said, it's over. If there's a God in heaven, I, what I just experienced tonight, it is over, finito, it's over. Just about a day later, I was shaving. And my wife burst into the bathroom and said, Chrissy's here. I said, Chrissy, I hadn't seen her in four months. Chrissy, and you better go down. I went down the steps and in the, wiping off the shave cream and in the, in, on the kitchen floor was my daughter on her knees. And then when I walked in the kitchen, she grabbed at my pants leg. She pulled it. 
she was weeping and she said, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mommy. Daddy, forgive me for being rebellious, etc. Daddy, Daddy, it's different. But Daddy, who is praying for me? Who is praying Tuesday night for me? What, Chrissy, what happened as she drew up to me? She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And he showed me that I was heading toward a chasm and it had no, it had no bottom. But daddy, even as he showed me that and showed me how off I was, he put his arms around me and he showed me that he loved me and he had a plan for my life. And daddy, I, I made it right with God. And I could tell by her face, she was my daughter again, the one I had raised. Very soon, God opened the door, and for the next four years, she directed the music program at a Bible school. She married a man of God. They're both in the ministry today. And God reminded me once again, my house shall be called a house of prayer, because when you call, I will answer. And the hard cases that some of you are facing, I want to tell you now, it won't come from another seminar. Seminars have their limit. All they can do is be an arrow that gets you to the throne of grace. But when you get there, watch out. Because God can do exceedingly beyond what we ask or think. I'm not being emotional. I'm not being simplistic. But we have too many technicians now invading the church that are into methodology. The answer is not in methodology. The answer is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The answer is in the grace of God. I invite you to pray. Father, we, uh, we pray that you would teach us the place of prayer in our lives personally Father, we're asking that you would teach us the place of prayer in our church corporately. Father, we believe that you have called us this year to, to an initiative of prayer because you want to teach us and because you want to uh, move us to a place that you have uh, a place where we experience that grace and that mercy and your presence in a new and a fresh way. And so, Lord, would you just uh, direct us, continue to direct us over these coming months, collectively as a church body, Lord, individually, for each one that's here. Father, in... In, in our private prayers, in our, in, as, we, as we think about how we need to structure our, our times of prayer as a body, Father, we're asking you uh, to lead us and to teach us so that we might experience that table, so that we might pull up and, and know all that you have for us. And so we, we thank you for this this challenge today and this invitation. And uh, Father, we, we look forward to what you have in store for us.
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank